The Production Expert Podcast with Julian Rogers, Steve DeMott and Chris Vanderweiler. Good evening. Welcome to the Production Expert Podcast number 443. It's October the 26th, 2020. I'm Julian Rogers. I'm Chris Vanderweiler. And I'm Steve DeMott. We've got some great deals from Wave, Synchro Arts, Universal Audio, RSPE, Editor's Keys and Avid on our deals page, so go to the deals page. If you want to get a deal, um, we should move on to Talking Points. This is sponsored by Arturia. Hello, experts and listeners. Pro Tools Expert Talking Points is brought to you with the support of Arturia. Arturia has a wide selection of software effects, including three compressors, three filters, three preamps, and three delays you'll actually use. The latest release, three delays you'll actually use, include Delay Tape 201, Delay Memory Brigade, and the unique and experimental Delay Eternity. A bundle of selected effects called the AudioFuse Creative Suite is included with all AudioFuse audio interfaces. Follow the link in the podcast article or visit arturia.com to find out more on the effects you'll actually use. So, on to talking points. And our talking point this week uh, is, is about spill. Spill in the studio, in the, in the broadest sense. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to say too much about that. I'm just going to put it over to, to you guys. But um, uh, spill, the good, the bad. We're a bunch of control freaks by nature, I think. And uh, the temptation is to jump on spill and make it stop. But is that the right way to go? What do we think? What I've learned over the past eight months is I've been doing a lot of live recording where the band is probably too close together, not in terms of uh, social distancing, but in terms of mic positioning and all, to really get good separation because there's also video involved. I've had to learn to really uh, embrace all the bleed from mic to mic. I mean, usually when you record drums, right, uh, you can only do so much. Your mics are... You know, one of your toms or two racks and a floor, if you've got a five piece, you know, those those two rack toms are pretty close. They're going to pick up some snare. They're mm-hmm. picking up some kick. The, your under snare is picking up kick. Your hi-hat's picking up snare. It's everywhere. And you just, you just have to embrace it. But one of the, one of the interesting things that came about from all this recording is I'm realizing there's a ton of energy in all that bleed. It's, uh, if I went and cleaned it out, I started to think, hmm, the, the, it feels flatter than it did before. So there, there, there was this uh, sort of, I don't want to call magic, but there is a little magic happening in all that bleed where there, there's, there, there's energy happening that, that flattens when you, when you pull it out. I, I, I started to really like the bleed. It felt good. It, it, uh, it, cha- it also, I, I think, um, was was certainly changing the dimension of my mix after you know after the fact when we started mixing these things um i certainly felt like getting front to back um kind of a, a three-dimensional front to back spacing was a lot easier because it's pretty easy to go left or right right you just move yeah. your pan knobs <laughs> But getting that front to back is, you know, you're always, you know, fiddling with, you know, hey, if it's further back, it's a little less bright and further back still a little less bright even more or so. And, but with this, you had 
it kind of naturally started to take care of itself. I, I like what you were saying there. It reminded me of a quote that I I wish I knew who said this. I just Googled it, actually, and I've come up with nothing. But somebody who was clearly very wise uh, when talking about spill was uh, said um, that the, the music's in the rough edges. Mm. And that temptation to try to shut everything down and exercise the control that you have because you have it and not to leave things to just be can really throw something really important away. I, I remember this very clearly from a series of recordings I did years ago with a band I used to work with uh, quite regularly. And it was at a time when um, when what I could do was increasing. And I was just looking for ways to shut down, shut, to, to, to exercise that control I just mentioned. And I absolutely nailed the the bleed situation i was very much of the opinion that yes bleed is bad because it means that it's limiting my choices later and i wasn't really kind of brave enough to just go with what was happening and go it's going to be okay i feel if i think it sounds all right now then it probably sounds all right and um i managed to control it to the point where i could just solo up the overheads and hear nothing apart from just some drums you know which is great because it was tracking all together in the room together and it was completely completely stamped on but it definitely lacked something, and the band weren't happy. I wasn't happy. Nobody was happy, mm. and it it kind of it's the example that proves the point you just made, Sue. Chris, do you you, but from what I know, don't track groups of musicians together in rooms uh, in quite the same way or as regularly as as, uh, as Steve does. So, so what about you? I mean, how does spill affect what you do? Sure. Yeah, I uh, I used to, and then um. I kind of made the pivot to mixing only uh, where folks just send me their projects or their, their audio files and I mix from there just because it just got to a point where I felt that mixing was more fun than tracking uh, in certain situations. Like in, if you're part of the creative uh, creative uh, a catalyst, like a producer sort of setting, I like that a lot. But when you're hitting record over and over again because the guitarist needs to get that part right over and over again, um, it just... I don't know, kind of fell out of favor for me. But I I remember early times of recording in not ideal situations and trying to stamp out the bleed in drum tracks and it just being a, a fight, a, a fight for my life. And then as time has gone on and the spaces have gotten better, I've actually have lost interest in gating. I've lost interest in, I, I use a tiny bit of expansion, but even when folks send me their projects and I know they're not in studios, I don't know. I feel like there's a flavor that gets lost, uh, particularly with drums. That's what comes to my mind. I like vocals a little drier, and I like to impart reverb after the fact. But with drums, it's like with the tom tracks, I'm fine with gating them or, or cutting them just because I don't really care for the sympathetic ring of the toms. But I like I, I like the sympathetic ring of like the kick when the snare hits or vice versa or you know just hearing it in the overheads. The other thing that comes to my mind is I tracked a band. One of my only times ever tracking a band together in the studio. And these guys were really proficient. They were fantastic. And when they played together, it was like, wow, the energy between these guys was just would not have been achieved, I believe, by multi-tracking everybody separately, which is how I've always done it. So I, I can empathize quite a bit with the the sense. Of, I guess it's not necessarily bleed, but the idea of people working together and not trying to isolate every everybody from one another. Absolutely right. I mean, it changes 
the way the music comes across, I think, when it's all at once rather than building it track by track or measure by measure. Oh, should we draw a distinction between two types of bleed here? Just because, I mean, we're, we're, we're mentioning drums quite a bit along the way. If you're sure. talking about bleed between microphones that are on right. the same instrument, mm-hmm. and then you've got bleed between different different players and different unrelated parts. Right. And they're, they're, kind of, they're, they're, they're different. And mm-hmm. the... Um, I definitely, I definitely argue that they're they're treated differently. Certainly, if the if the arrangements in any way kind of like fluid, you're 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 limiting your options if you've got significant amounts of bleed between players. Just because you, if you go, hey, let's get this bit and just drop everything out and just go with the dr- bass and drums for this section, it's like it's not going to happen if you've got guitar bleed over everything. I mean, we sort we sort of get that. There's definitely right. an argument that you should probably have that stuff sorted before you hit record, and I'm probably in that camp. But these things can happen. But if we're talking about drums, for example, I mean, I've I've come back to to, to gating on drums because I just I have to make, name check Sonox drum gate, which got me gating again. <laughs> it really did. I'd been <laughs> I'd been getting increasingly gentle with uh, uh, with expansion and stuff just because kind of you can get some you can get some pretty benign results with that and as soon as I got Sonox drum gate I just went yep yeah, hard gate everything it's fine just because it just it just understood what I was trying to achieve and and uh, you know I'm not on the snare maybe but certainly a, a certainly a kicks and toms not a, not an issue but so do you gate everything then will you gate no, all your trick no I don't, I don't, I don't I don't always do anything actually, just because I'm, I'm right. always trying out different stuff. But I certainly, certainly, I've been um, rather than typically using something like Pro Expander, for example, if I wanted to sort some toms out, I might be using. I wouldn't be using a gate, and I'd be using a sort of gentler expansion, and I'd have the depth down, and I'd probably only be pulling down that spill. Maybe six dB is usually enough to just tuck it out of the way, so it's not bothering mm-hmm. anyone. Um, the exception for that's probably if, if I mean if you've got a particularly resonant tom. That's that's ringing obnoxiously to something. Um, uh, floor toms can be uh, bad offenders for this, getting that low rumble. But of course, you yeah. can, you know, that's usually quite easy to deal with. But um, but no, it's it's the depth of the gating or expansion. Uh, suddenly, just kind of like, yeah, take it all the way down. It's fine. Just because all of the negative side effects that that I was trying to avoid by getting increasingly gentle and using as little as was possible, um, all of a sudden. Just didn't really apply anymore. I've never been someone for cutting stuff out, really. Um, hmm. I mean, maybe you know, if if you've got a track where you know that rack tom gets hit once, then yeah, you know, strip silence and off you go. But uh, if something's actually being used enough, then I, I, I'm certain. And there's something about my approach. I do prefer to to set up stuff so that it does it for me, just because it just feels I don't know more traditional. I think maybe it's an old school thing. But in in terms of the types of bleed. Um, my my pet hate um, is uh, is hi hat bleed onto a snare, yeah, and yeah. that's just that's not because I mind the snare the the hi hat being there. I mean, certainly if you're, if you're trying to do silly things with compression on snares and stuff, then it's it's, yeah, it's setting yourself up for some poor results probably. But it's usually because that off axis bleed sounds bad because it's so coloured, because of yeah. the mic you're using on that top snare, you know, which you know, there are some usual contenders, and I would argue that most of the usual choices actually sound pretty poor off-axis. My objection to them isn't how the snare sounds down them, it's how everything else sounds down them. Um, 
but this is this is that brings in that whole thing because if we're going to talk about embracing embracing the bleed, then uh, the the best documented case case of this I can think of is is probably Al Schmidt and his big band stuff. Which if you haven't watched the tracking yeah. the big band film that he did, it's utterly brilliant. And he he's just getting he's just getting a load of sixty sevens in Omni and putting them up around some absolutely fantastic players and everything sounds wonderful. I'm not confident that you'd get the same results if I followed the same. There's there's more to it than just doing that. <laughs> <laughs> some experience coming in there as well. But the point is, um, he's he's using he's using Omni because he's embracing the spill and he's using that polar response that's going to minimise the colour of that off-axis sound so that everything comes together in a constructive and uh, and pleasing way rather than having some dreadful, bad-sounding off-axis um, uh, back of a 57 hi-hat coming into your snare mic. Yeah. He also has the benefit of a good-sounding room. Yeah, I mean, we're talking a bit of a best-case scenario, though. I was going to say the, the, the players usually aren't too bad either, so, you know. Yeah, that, that <laughs> as well. Um <laughs> If you have good players, you know, most of your work is done for you. So that, that is, mm. as long as you somehow don't screw up that signal chain, you're, you're, you're going to be good. That's what I was going to contest is uh, a lot of uh, the musicians I've, not a lot, but, you know, the musicians I've worked with I think are great. But I don't know if I would give them the the bit of rope to track as a band and then having to punch things in after and that that's the one area that I'm a little hesitant on. I'd have to be pretty confident. Uh, and again, that's not a snub. I, they're all great. It's just you know we all mess up. We all you know have a hiccup. Um, but how many hiccups are are crosses the threshold? Yeah, and, and nobody cares how you got there. And I've yeah, right. I've tracked a bass part, you know, two bars at a time, and it's fine if that's if that's what needed to happen. If that's how it has to go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. largely large because of my 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 poor bass playing but also the fact that the part wasn't written you know and it's like do that no don't do that do this do that try you know i mean if this is what it, it takes then that's not a problem but i think most of us probably have got some idealized uh idealized session where a band come in and they've already done the work and they just say right hit go there you are there's your take and th these ones these ones go easier put it that way they don't necessarily t t turn out being the best ones, but they're certainly ones that that happen with the with the the least the, the least amount of work from the engineer's point of view because uh, because there's an objective thing that you're trying to capture rather than a thing that's that's being developed and invented while you're capturing it. Let's let, let's look at spill going the other way though, because I want to talk about monitoring and spill. For example, uh, headphones really significant source of bleed. Actually, does that stuff actually matter in context when we get in there? It could. Often it doesn't, and that's very non-committal. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, that was quite. <laughs> so uh, you think? <laughs> uh, so sometimes I think it does, uh, particularly vocals. Um, I, I, one of my pet peeves is, you know, the vocalist where you, you, you hear very clearly the spill from the headphones coming through the vocal tra track. And are you talking about click track or, or track spill? Track spill. Click track is actually somewhat easier to deal with. The problem with the track spill, um, if you, uh, have a vocalist is then when you go to tune. Ah, uh, yeah. And if, if, you know, if you get a, a guitar strum in there. And and say you have to bring that vocalist 
up 15 cents mm. on that one note. Well, you're, you're taking the guitar up with it most of the time. And that's going to really, um, if, if you can hear that well enough, that's going to bring your guitar out of tune mm. no, against definitely. the actual track. You know, of course, you know, there, there are tools like Melodyne, which will allow you to tune just part of it. But if you're going the tra you know, traditional route with auto tune or, uh, you know, any of those others, waves tune or whatever, that becomes a significant problem. Yeah, and, and I think if we're getting into some kind of uh, diving into polyphonic stuff for tuning, tweaking, well, I think anyone who's doing that probably knows that it's a problem that would be better dealt with at source of the spill not being there in the first place. I think turning this around slightly, um, we're talking about how great and how important the contribution of the spill from the other instruments and not the direct stuff but actually just everything all in together um, is to the performance. Well... If the key to a really great performance when you're tracking a tracking a band is the quality of their monitoring of what they're hearing, then are we doing it wrong by giving them this really tight controlled monitor mix rather than encouraging them to actually dispense with uh, dispense with headphones altogether and just to embrace the spill during the performance is there is there something in that hmm. I think so <laughs> I mean I, I think I understand what you're saying and w yeah what what if the band were just in the room, no monitoring, just listening to each other live in the room. Is that where we're going? This is there's there's a definite case for this. I mean, yeah. it depends what you're trying to do. I mean, we we've, we've got to kind of acknowledge the tyranny of the click track, just mm -hmm. because you know, oh, you won't be able to hear the click. Well, okay. Um, do you need to for a start? If you're working to a click, the drummer maybe needs to hear the click if you're working it that way round, although you don't right. need to start with a click anyway. And I'm certainly a fan of letting a good drummer be in charge of the time rather than making a good drummer conform to a click. But that's a whole right. different that, thing. So you know, That's maybe, another podcast. Yeah, maybe we should step, <laughs> step away from that one. But, uh, but certainly, I mean, if you record uh, acoustic instruments, if you, rec if, you record, if you record anything that's kind of like, you know, acoustic-y, bokey, kind of anything like that, then apart from the fact that uh, these things tend to kind of balance themselves and that's how these people are used to playing together anyway, also, if you if you take a member of that ensemble away and stick them into behind some glass somewhere, away from the rest of the players, they're going to hate it. They're not going right. to they're not going to like that at all. They're losing that feedback, and they're going to lose they're going to lose the, uh, the that familiar performance that they're that they're used to dealing with. Certainly, there's some people I used to record, and and they they wanted to play hip to hip almost. Which is fine, but if you're dealing with, in this case, it was an accordion and a violin, and from a spill point of view, this is not a happy. Yeah, that's not a good. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Particularly considering <laughs> considering accordions are, are I think, a, a very peculiar ch uh, instrument, just because you've got some um, two bits that make noise and they move relative to each other, which I can't think of in any other instrument at all. So, uh, yeah, that makes it very odd. But what do you do? Do you interfere with their playing dynamic and get a half-hearted performance, or do you just go, I tell you what, <laughs> just gonna have to embrace the spill? Well, I, I think if the musicians are good enough, eh, eh, go for it, right? But I, I think that they're, they're, they're sort of the delineator. How much post are you expecting to have to do? Because if you're if you're expecting to have to do a lot of editing and tuning and maybe rearranging of parts, that's a nightmare. It is. 
But if you're fairly confident that those musicians are going to play the arrangement the way that they want the arrangement to be at the end, and there's going to be very little fixing of things, I, I think, you know, the sum is, you know, is greater than, you know, it's greater than the sum of its parts at that point, right? Mm. You, you, you have this, this interaction between live musicians uh, that's being picked up by your recording medium, you know, whether it's, in, you know, close mic or, or room mic or whatever, or a combination of all of that. I don't know. I, 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 I'm starting to lean towards that after having done eight months of, of recording these bands kind of live, uh, w you know, with way too much bleed going everywhere. You know, I've, I've got guitars in the overheads and, and stuff like that. Um, I tell you, when I go and I clean it out, it feels flatter. So, hmm. no, I, I lean towards yes. Uh, if, if you can trust the musicians, it's, I think it's better. Yeah. So why, why would you clean it out? What would you be trying to address by, by cleaning that spill out? You know, I think for me, when I went to go do it in the beginning, it was because I felt that was what I should do. Because you can? Because I can, yes. Because I have Pro Tools <laughs> and I can edit down to the sample level and mm. I, I could take everything out except for that part that I want. And yeah, it flat, it, it, not only is it a ton more work, it, it was, it was certainly not was nearly as rewarding away. to listen to. Something mm. we should probably, probably kind of point out here is that, I mean, depending on the spill, but most of the spill you're talking about, certainly if you've got some guitar all over your overheads or something like that, um, it's, it's decorrelated. It's, it's not, it's it's different from kind of spill between microphones on the same in, in, instrument, for example. Absolutely, where they can they can play together badly, but if something's far enough away, then actually it's fine. It's not going to do anything destructive. It's just going to be there and be part of the sound. And it, I suppose, it comes down to do you like the the, the sound, which going full circle was going to can take us back to uh, can take us back to rooms, I suppose. And if it's if it's a nice noise in a good sounding room, then there's no reason why the spill shouldn't be a very acceptable sounding thing. But true story, actually, the first studio I ever worked in um, uh, was, uh, it was, I'm, I'll try to say this without being too unkind about, about the person who wrote it. The, the guy whose studio it was, was the person who who understood the least about how to run a studio, put it that way. And I remember going through a multi-track and bringing up track after track after track, and I couldn't tell what it was, what each track was supposed to be. Oh my! Oh. It was yeah. I mean, there are reasons for this, but basically, I mean, a lot of it is. But the point is, as long as when you, if you can hear something else in there, as long as you can tell what it's supposed to be, and that's what most of it is, then under a best case scenario, that that's probably okay. You know, unless there's something that you desperately need to fix. If you've got a case where, you know, the spills six dB below the wanted, then yeah, that's that's not a problem with spill. That's a problem with 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 where the microphone was and um, you know these other issues. If you sort of mean, but if spills right. so bad that it's overtaking things, then that's not a normal situation. And uh, I suppose no, that's, that's 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 poor microphone technique <laughs> and there are some and yeah and switching to omni is probably not going to help if that's what you've got so yeah, <laughs> yeah. that brings yeah. to mind um for a different project that i'm doing uh just for examples i it's 
sort of related tangentially, but I uh, had my significant other read part of a manual so I could record a voiceover, but we did it in a couple different sections of this space. Um, one in the studio space where there's acoustic treatment, one in the common area where there's no acoustic treatment. And though it's not interplay bleed between different signals, it's, it's, you know, it's a night and day difference of spill of the room itself where she doesn't even sound like she's close to the microphone at all in the, the common area space. Um, I agree that is kind of spill. So yeah. It's kind of spill, uh, but it's just, it's, it's funny how the spacing itself can um, almost take the, the subject away from the microphone and it made me think uh it, your description of pulling up these multi-tracks and none of it being uh discernible as to what it was in front of to begin with that that brought it to mind <laughs> right well chris if, if you get a, a a track to mix and say it was live drums do you typically go in and, and clean the tracks say, say you had you know 10 tracks of drums you know everything kick in kick out snare top snare bottom all the way to the overheads do you go through each one and determine, you know, hey, what needs to be here, what doesn't? Let me clean this up, or, or do you just go with it? Uh, no, I, you know, I'll listen to each of the tracks and I'll determine if, you know, is the kick out or kick in? Is it really contributing to the kit itself, um, or is it just giving me more of a muddy mess or whatever the case may be? Um, and the toms, I always strip silence. Uh, you know, if I have a section of a floor tom that's drumming along, I'm not going to chop up each individual hit. I'll just chop out everything before and after the section. Uh, I, I, I'm not, I don't know. I mean, once in a while, you know, a tom might sound good, just just rhythmically bouncing along with the rest of the kit, but I generally find I don't like that. Um, but unlike Julian, I or maybe like him for a period of time, I've really backed off the gating just because I hate the... I hate the the chatter of the gate on drums, mm-hmm. and, and and expansion helps to a certain extent. So you know, I'll just tuck things down a little bit. But again, the interplay is something I I do like um, for most of the kit. So what about players um, recording uh, singing players? If you sort of mean, I mean the the example that's that's usually usually spoken about most is uh, is a singing acoustic guitarist. But actually, I think the hard one is a is a is a singing pianist yeah that kind of stuff i mean any thoughts on that how the approach is well, whenever i hear that i always go back to um i was reading uh I, this was years and years and years ago i was reading uh about one of the billy joel albums how he refuses to track anything and he has to play along as he sings and i always say well well man those albums sound great so it's definitely possible right yeah um, but yeah, piano is tough because it, it's loud. It feels like it's everywhere. It's wide. Yeah, that's the thing. Um, <laughs> it, it's hard to, to, to uh, I've done that a few times. And um, there are a couple things I've done, you know, th- to physically separate the vocal mic from the rest of the piano, including, you know, a gobo uh, behind the vocal mic, that would you know just try to yeah almost almost putting the piano in a different room to the singer <laughs> but it's exactly the wall. exactly yeah, yeah. um but um again i think i think you know if i were to reapproach that after having the this several months of of uh experience just dealing with bleed everywhere and i i will i will also add that the room we're in is not particularly good oh yeah 
and it's still it's not the uh the the mixing nightmare that you'd expect it's it it's still adding something and it, it kind of defies physics in some ways <laughs> but yeah i mean if i were to go back and do it now i i think i'd let it be a little more raw because i think there might be something there mm. i mean thankfully mm. it is it is possible to record an acceptable vocal getting in pretty close which really does help i mean i've tried the dual figure of eight thing loads of times and uh it's I think it's a good idea on guitar, but actually it's not something that I've, I, I, I favour on vocals. With the piano thing, I mean, okay, MIDI exists and we've got to acknowledge that can, that can really help if somebody's happy to play play MIDI. But um, the best results the best results I've come across are using, I mean, it's it, uprights are more difficult. Um, a grand's kind of, kind of easier, but um, uh, if, you've got, if, if you've got like a, you know, one of those big heavy covers, with a half open lid that can that can really yeah. help but the, already you're kind of uh um you're dealing with quite a bit of hardware that you may or may not have have access to doing uprights um that's really difficult i think that's uh, that's yeah. quite a challenge to be able to do because you're basically sticking the vocal mic between the soundboard yeah, and yeah, the, yeah. yeah and the vocalist yeah I certainly try i mean micing micing pianos from the back actually uh uh, upright pianos from the back. I, th- I think it's actually quite a good way to go. I quite like that. Yes, but uh, but it's yeah. The, the, the but it doesn't help the vocal. The side vocal mic is still a bit of a struggle, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But hey, MIDI MIDI's existed for years, so you know. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, we, we should probably um, probably kind of move things along, actually, because uh, we have we have kind of uh, talked the legs off of that one to some extent. But um, uh, so we're, we're going on to competitions. What's happening with competitions, Steve? It's a busy month for competitions and giveaways, with no fewer than six running in October from Leapwig, Croto, Slate, and Townsend Labs. We'll call out two here. Download and remix five-time Grammy Award-winning producer Cassidy Turbin's track, Spell of Love, for a chance to win a Townsend Labs L22 microphone system worth over £1,300 in their Halloween giveaway. And our friends over at Universal Audio are giving away an Apollo Twin X Quad interface, plus a UAD Custom 3 bundle worth over £1,500 to one lucky winner. Excellent. So um, uh, check out the win page if you want more details on any of those. Uh, And we should move along to Find of the Week. Pro Tools Expert Podcast is created using Source Connect Now from Source Elements. Register now for your free account at now.source-elements.com. If you've ever tried to do interviews over the internet with apps like Skype, you'll know how hit and miss the audio quality and connection can be. And even on a good day, it isn't really good enough for a long-form interview. We now use Source Connect Now, which offers ISDN equivalent quality audio using a Chrome browser, no software to install. To get your free account, follow the link in the podcast notes. Almost one breath. I'm keeping that one. Yes. Anyway, so find of the week. Uh, These are sponsored by RSPE Audio Solutions. RSPE Audio is up and running remotely. Their team is set up and working from the safety of their homes, and their sales staff are available by phone, live chat, or email to receive and process orders. They have everything you need to build or upgrade your home studio and ensure you can continue to work from home. If there is anything they can do for you, please don't hesitate to reach out or shop online at rspeaudio.com. Plus, of course, the link is in the podcast notes. Fantastic. So, uh, well, Chris, what's your find of the week? Sure. So uh, recently, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I turned 37 and uh, not- Stop it. That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, just, yeah. 
Yeah, uh, it's it's the type of thing where I didn't expect to be dead by now, but I didn't expect to be 37. It's weird, existential thing. But I uh, was gifted a subscription to Masterclass, and I'm loving it. I mean, it's got everything from cooking to audio to whatever. But the audio stuff, I don't know. I'm a information junkie. I love consuming information. I love learning. And some of the stuff they have on there, like the Timbaland class, where – I don't know. It's fascinating. It's really cool to see someone, um, I don't know, you know, you think uh, you got to learn all these technical details of making music, but this guy just makes music with his mouth and he converts it in Ableton and just blows me away. Or there's uh, St. Vincent talking about one of her early hits and where it started and how it turned into uh, and then stuff like Dead Mouse. He, he had a really interesting trick where if he wants to write a song, he wants to make sure all the notes that he's working with are in the same key he'll just put a drone note through the whole performance and then he knows if something's off you know when he starts plugging in notes something's going to be off if it doesn't line up with that drone note so i don't know just i just am a big fan of learning so i think it's a fantastic uh investment of uh my gifters money they're, they're very slick um we've spoken about these before actually i can't remember who it was someone else uh uh, was uh, was trying them. We're very impressed. Have you watched the Hans Zimmer one? No, I haven't. I, I mean, I poked through various ones. Uh, I maybe have watched the trailer for it, but I'm I'm planning on watching it all. Yeah, yeah. yeah we've been interested in in those. I'm, I'm glad to hear they're they're worth it because uh, they they look incredible. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's the type of thing. Um, I would say specifically, I'm really into. I'm increasingly into hip hop and pop production, and the Timbaland one specifically. It's it's the type of thing where, um, f- for him particularly, he's not uh, he, he's not necessarily explaining everything to you. It's almost like you're fly on the wall watching what's going on, and maybe they'll explain something um, uh, briefly. But it's it's fascinating to to watch it's fascinating to uh i think they do a really good job ultimately is what i'm trying to say steve what about you so um i've spent the last couple months upgrading things here in the home studio which is also my live rig and um it'll be no surprise to anyone to hear me say the name metric halo again because i think i've mentioned it every time i've talked <laughs> to date um but i am a huge fan of 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 the metric halo hardware as well as their software and i um i've had a 2882 since about 2004 and what i love about these guys is um they they future proof their hardware so i i was able to upgrade that from a, a a legacy unit to a 2d and then about a year and a half ago to a 3d unit but I needed, uh, with all these recordings and, and uh, live events I was doing over the past several months, I needed more tracks. I needed more inputs. So I got myself a, uh, a ULN 8 3D, which is just a stunning piece of hardware. The uh, converters have just blown me away. I remember the plug, you know, getting it set up and plugging it in, uh, playing through my Dyn Audios here. And... Um, thinking to myself that there's nothing between my music, the music and my ears now. It's that pristine um, wow. to the point where I, I had to yell up to my wife, have her come down and she, she, you know, had to listen for a while. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, so uh, it's just, I couldn't be happier with it uh, to the point where about two weeks after buying it, I turned to my wife saying, you know, I could really use a second one of those. And uh, ended up getting a second ULN 8 to 
outfit 24 channels of uh, analog in and out, plus all the digital it has. So that's my find of the week, the Metric Halo ULN, ULN8 3D. just great converter audio interface. Yep. Julian, what's your uh, find of the week? Mine is, I'm extremely proud of mine. Mine is a Yo-Yo Desk Pro 2. Uh, it's a sit-stand desk. Um, we've been talking about this stuff quite a lot recently. Uh, Russ uh, had a had a, a go on one of their, like, tabletop sit-stands. Um, I don't know. It's not really called it. It's not really a desk as such, but like an, like, uh, uh, an extension thing that you put on top so you can put your computer on it and you, your work can move with you, you can sit or stand. Um, I've been a standing desk user for quite a while, but mine was stand only. I, uh, I, I had a tabletop and uh, I looked at the various options and wasn't convinced by these uh, motorised desks that you can get that have the um, like an I-beam leg arrangement, if you sort of mean. So there's a single leg at each end. Because I just looked at it and I, I, I invented a phrase for it. Um, it's a, it's a fine for a, a laptop and a, and a mug of coffee sit-stand desk. But I was imagining what would happen if you started putting heavy gear on them and uh, all that kind of stuff. And um, I wasn't convinced. So uh, I... I I got in touch with the people at, uh, at Sit Stand, and uh, and they were saying, "Well, we think they'd be fine." Um, so I've tried one. I built it. I've I've actually I just got the frame, and I put my existing tabletop onto it, and I can vouch for the fact that with quite a considerable amount of gear on it, and off centre as well, because they say, "Oh, they're they're good for hundred kilos," and I think, "Yeah, hundred kilos placed exactly in the middle." But what happens if you've got twenty kilos on the back edge? Does that upset it? I can't believe how sturdy this thing is. It's amazing. It's part of a, a wider kind of scheme that I've got. I've got some extra bits that I'm going to do to try to sort of head off um, the issues that I'd have doing what I do at this kind of uh, at this kind of desk table, whatever you want to call it. But uh, yeah, there'll be something coming on the site at some point when all the bits come together and I can see whether or not the idea that I've had is uh, is genius or ridiculous. So um, so we'll see. But yeah, the Yo-Yo Desk Pro 2 is my find of the week. I actually have a question about that. Um, I'm curious how your speakers or your monitor, excuse me, are oriented in relation to the desk. If it's going up ah, well, and down. Well, you see, that is the part that isn't yet in place. Ah, uh, okay. Mm. Because I have a plan, but I haven't tried it yet, so I don't know whether okay. or not it works. But yeah, the, I'm just kind the, of getting in touch with some other people and seeing if I can find some solutions to that. You'll have to share those because I have yeah. a sit-stand desk that is in sit mode because if I bring it to stand, the uh, speakers aren't head level anymore. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what I'm doing at the moment, actually, is I've got some I've got some tall uh, ultimate stands. And uh, what they are, they're kind of, they're a little bit high for seated and a little bit low for standing, but they're kind of somewhere in between. Hmm. But that's not the goal. That's not where I intend to end up. So right. we'll, see, we'll see how that goes. But yeah, no, interesting stuff. Um, on that, we should probably wrap things up. So uh, yes, that's been the podcast and uh, it's good night from me. Good night from me. And good night from me. Good night. Good night.